Well, since the beginning of January, we have been slowly walking our way through the life of Moses. Uh, We saw that when Moses uh, was 80 years old, uh, what we often think of as sort of the end of a person's life, nearing nearing that at least, uh, that God actually called Moses to be his agent of delivering the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Um, But God told Moses at the time when he called him at the burning bush that it wasn't going to be easy, that this deliverance was going to take some time, and that actually God said that it was going to take a mighty hand to compel Pharaoh to let the people go. And so over the past few weeks, we have sort of seen the lead up to this moment as as Moses goes to Pharaoh initially, and Pharaoh refuses, and then uh, God speaks to to Moses about this. And last week we saw how he went back to Pharaoh and did this initial sign with with the snake, uh, the staff turning into a snake. And so we've been leading up to finally this moment that we're going to look at today, where we finally see God with his mighty hand displaying his power to deliver the people through a series of signs and wonders that are known as the Ten Plagues. Um, we are not going to read through all ten plagues this morning. Um, they, they span from Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 12, so there's a long... Um, I'm not even going to try to summarize all of them this morning, that, or that would take up kind of all of our time. But, uh, and actually, we're going to focus on the last plague, the tenth plague, next Sunday, as we look at uh, the culmination and, and this moment where, which is also the account of the first Passover and the actual exodus of the people out of Egypt. Um, but today, what I want to focus on as we, as we look at these ten plagues kind of taken all together is the purpose of the plagues. Um, that's the, my, my sermon title this morning. Why did God choose to perform these ten acts against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt? What was the purpose behind these plagues? Is there any reason behind even the specific plagues that God chose to do before Egypt. And so we're going to look at that uh, together this morning. I'm going to reference um, specific plagues throughout my message, but I want to start by, by reading the account of one of those plagues, uh, the seventh plague, which is the plague of hail, um, which highlights part of God's purpose in why he sent these powerful acts upon Egypt. So our text, the text I'm going to read um, this morning is from Exodus chapter 9, uh, verses 13 through 35. But we'll be kind of, again, looking throughout these chapters, 7 um, all the way through 12. Um, and, and again, this, this passage that I'm going to be reading takes place after God has already done six plagues. And, and after each of those plagues, we, as we mentioned last week, Pharaoh hardens his heart and refuses to let the people go after each of these plagues. So um, we're going to be looking at Exodus 9, beginning with verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me, Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, 
that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripen later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled and in awe of the display of your power as we hear about these mighty works, these plagues, um, so many years ago. Lord, we pray that you would open our, our eyes and our hearts to, re- to understand the purpose behind these plagues, Lord, and, and to understand and to fall down and worship before you, the God of all creation, the God of all power, and that we would turn our lives to you, Lord, um, to your mercy. And so we pray that you would speak to us now and give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said today, we're, um, I want to focus today on the purpose of the plagues, why God chose to use these ten events as the lead-up to the deliverance of the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. As it, as it even said in, in our text today, God could have just done kind of one big plague and wiped them all out. That's, he said, I, I could have done that. But he chose to, to, to do these ten plagues. So why? Why was that? Um, 
The first purpose that we see is actually given in the passage that I just read from the seventh plague. And, that, and, and so purpose number one that we see that God gave these plagues was to show God's power and superiority. To show God's power and superiority. We see this in what God says to Pharaoh uh, through Moses in verses 14 and 16 in our text. There God tells Pharaoh that he is sending the full force of his plagues so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The plagues show the power of God, his almighty power. And they also show his superiority, that there is no one like him. Um, We're going to take a look at a few of the ways the plagues show that. The first is that each of the plagues show that God has power over creation in particular. We see that throughout the plagues. He has power over water in the first plague as he turns the Nile River to blood. He can do that. He can take water, an entire river, and turn it into something else because he is the creator. He, He shows that he has power over insects and animals as he fills the land with frogs in the second plague, and then turns dust into gnats in the third plague, and he brings swarms of flies in the fourth plague, sends a plague of locusts in the eighth plague. He has control over animals, insects, all living things on the earth. He can just speak it and and swarms the land with these animals. He shows that he has power over disease, as he sends a pestilence on the Egyptians' livestock and then boils on both people and animals. In our text today, we see that he has power over the weather. His power over, uh, as he sends this massive hailstorm. And he even has power over light and darkness. In the ninth plague, as he causes total darkness to cover Egypt for three days. He is the creator, and he has power over all of creation, and he shows that in these plagues. In each of the plagues, God actually does something in particular in relation to creation, though. We see that actually God reverses what he did when he originally created the world. That the plagues, in some ways, are reversals of creation. And so he shows, that the second way he shows his power is he shows he has power to reverse creation. Um, instead of creating light, as he did in creation, here he brings darkness. Instead of placing insects and animals under the authority of humanity, which is what he does in creation. He, he, he says, you are to rule over all these animals, but here in the plagues, God makes the animals and insects kind of rule over, the, over humanity as, they, as he sends them against humans. He reverses the order of creation. Instead of forming humans in his image from the dust, as he does in creation, here he brings gnats from the dust to torture humans. Instead of bringing plants, animals, and humans to life, he instead brings pestilence on animals. He destroys crops with hail and locusts, and he finally, ultimately, brings the angel of death against all the firstborn sons of Egypt. Instead of bringing life as he does in creation here, he brings death. But God shows his power not only in sending these plagues on Egypt, not only in in, in having the plagues happen, But actually, then he also shows his power to stop the plagues when he chooses. 
Several times, we saw this in our text today, that, that Pharaoh pleads with Moses to ask God to remove a plague. Actually, in our text today, Pharaoh even acknowledges, I've sinned. Please, Moses, show mercy. And whenever Moses pray, prays, God stops it, just like that. God has power to send the plagues, and he has power to stop the plagues. And he does that throughout these ten plagues. In addition to showing um, his power, we see just his, his, his raw power through these plagues. We also see that, that God is superior. And the, and the way that God does these plagues are particularly to show Pharaoh and show the Egyptians that he is the only true God. That he is superior over anyone else. That there's no one like him. And so the first way they do that is that they show that God is superior to the Egyptian gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Many of the plagues that God chose to, to do in Egypt were specifically aimed at Egyptian gods. Um, that there, was a, there were many gods that the people in Egypt worshipped. And there were different gods over different parts of, of creation. And so God chooses these plagues to show the Egyptians that your gods are not powerful. Your gods are worthless. He shows them that, that the, the gods and goddesses of the Nile River... That, that the people of Egypt worship, they couldn't prevent him from turning the Nile into blood. Those gods of the Nile were, were worthless. They had no power. The, there's an, there was an Egyptian god that supposedly controlled the frog population that, that was pictured as, as, as a frog in, in the Egyptian idea of, of, of the gods. And this frog god, though, had no power over the frogs that God sent to Egypt. Pharaoh and his magicians, they couldn't remove these masses of frogs by appealing to this Egyptian god of the frogs. No, the Lord had the power over creation, including the frogs. The Egyptian sun god, Ra, was not able to overcome the three days of darkness that the Lord established over the land. Pharaoh even saw himself as the son of Ra. But there was no Egyptian god of the sun who could bring sunlight into the midst of the darkness that the God of, cre of the creation had, had done. And so through these plagues, God was showing Egypt that their gods and goddesses were no gods at all, that they had no power, that they were just idols. They were powerless. God was the only one who had the power. He was superior. The plagues also show that God was superior to the Egyptian magicians. We saw these magicians um, in last week's text as as when, when God uh, gave Moses the ability to turn a staff into a serpent, and then the Egyptians, they replicated that, that, that same act. They turned their staffs into to snakes, and Pharaoh kind of thought, ha-ha, we, we can meet, meet your, your power, Moses. But then we saw last week that, that Aaron's snake ate all the other snakes, showing again that he was more powerful. But in, and in these plagues, we see that actually... Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate the first two plagues. Um, it's, it's, it, it, in the text, it tells us that, that they were able to turn water into blood as well, and that they were able to cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. But by the third plague, the magicians could no longer duplicate the signs that were being done by the Lord. It tells us that when the dust produced gnats, the magicians tried to do the same thing, but they couldn't. And actually, in, in Exodus 8, 19, after they, they attempt and fail, we read this. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They acknowledge, they recognize that, 
that the God of Israel was superior to their secret arts, to their abilities, that this was beyond whatever they could do, that, that, that God was superior. And the plagues also show that God was also superior to Pharaoh himself. Last week we talked about how, how Pharaoh, again, saw himself as a son of the gods, that, that he thought of himself as he had all the power. He was the ruler of one of the most powerful empires in the world. He was in control, but Pharaoh was completely powerless in the face of the plagues. He couldn't stop them from coming. He couldn't reverse them. He couldn't counteract them. All he could do was experience them just like the rest of Egypt and then plead to the one true God for mercy. That was his only hope of stopping these things, was to acknowledge that he had no power, that only God had power. But as we talked about last week, after each of the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The text says that Pharaoh hardened his heart or that his heart became hard. And he refused to let the Israelites go. And we see the same description here in in the seventh plague as well. In verses 34 and 35 of our text, we read, When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Although he tells Moses, you take away this plague, then I'll let the people go. As soon as the plague is gone, Pharaoh says, no, I'm, I'm not letting them go. He sinned again, hardening his heart. And this leads to the second purpose of the plagues. Purpose number two that we see in, in God sending these plagues was to judge Pharaoh and Egypt for their sin. God didn't just send these plagues to just show how powerful and superior he was. He didn't just want to show off his power, but he had had a purpose behind them. He sent them as acts of judgment against Pharaoh and Egypt. In Exodus 6-6, earlier, when, when Moses had gone to Pharaoh and Pharaoh had refused to let the people go, the Lord told Moses to say to the Israelites, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And again, in Exodus 7, 4, God says, I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. God refers to the plagues as mighty acts of judgment, which were aimed at Pharaoh and Egypt. And Pharaoh and Egypt, they deserved this judgment. We saw earlier that Pharaoh... He enslaved the Israelites under brutal conditions. Exodus 1, the very beginning of, of this series, we saw that, that how the Israelites' lives says that they were bitter with harsh labor, that the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly, that, that, that Pharaoh was oppressing the Israelites, making them suffer as slaves under him. This was, this was sin. This was oppression. This was injustice that Pharaoh was doing upon these people. And when Moses went to to ask Pharaoh to let the Israelites go on on a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship God, to offer sacrifices to him, Pharaoh responded by taking away their straw for making bricks, by requiring them to make the same amount. He, He just doubled down on his oppression and his injustice. And when the Israelites were unable to do it because they didn't have straw, 
The Egyptian slave masters beat the Israelite overseers. Pharaoh was not innocent. He was incredibly oppressive and unjust and evil in his treatment of the Israelites. But it wasn't only Pharaoh who was guilty. Because the people of Egypt benefited from the slavery of the Israelites. They were guilty from their passive acceptance. They lived their lives in greater comfort because of the oppression of the Israelites. The Egyptians didn't try to step in and and stop this injustice from happening. They were very fine with living their lives, not having to be the ones that were doing this harsh labor and letting those Israelites take the brunt of it. So the Egyptians were guilty too. It might have been a passive guilt, a passive sin, but they were still guilty of the oppression of the Israelites. And then we saw back in chapter 1 of Exodus that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were also guilty of the murder of many Israelite baby boys. We saw in Exodus 1, Pharaoh first ordered the Israelite midwives to kill every Israelite baby boy that was born. And those midwives, they refused to do it. And so Pharaoh came back and and said that everyone in Egypt should throw any Israelite baby boy into the Nile River. Anybody had the authority to do that. Pharaoh just said, you see an Israelite baby boy, take them, throw them into the river to kill them. Pharaoh and the Egyptians were guilty. They deserved God's judgment. And when we look at many of the specific plagues that God sent, we see an element of the punishment fitting the crime. Actually, God chose to use these plagues to, sh- to, to show them what they had done, that, that their sin and their injustice was not acceptable before God. God turns the Nile River to blood. The same river that those Egyptians had used to throw those Israelite baby boys into. They filled the the Nile River with blood, the blood of those Israelite babies. And so God turns the, the river to blood, showing them the injustice of their act. In the sixth plague, God tells Moses to take handfuls of soot from a furnace and toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh, which will cause festering boils to break out on the people and animals throughout Egypt. Why did he ask Moses to take soot from a furnace? Well, many of the Israelites had been toiling at making bricks from those same furnaces for hundreds of years under the oppression of Pharaoh. And and so God uses this soot from these furnaces showing them what they had done to his people. He says, I'm going to bring suffering upon your people now. Pharaoh. When God sends the angel of death to take the life of every firstborn son in Egypt in in the tenth and final plague, you can't help but think about the many firstborn sons of Israel who were killed in the Nile. And God's words to Pharaoh in Exodus 4, 22 and 23, where God says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, Pharaoh, let my son go. So he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. God shows the punishment fits the crime. He's he's bringing judgment for the sins of Pharaoh and Egypt. 
Now, in addition to the plagues showing God's power and superiority, and in addition to, to bringing judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt, there's another purpose, the third purpose of the plagues that we see, is then to give confidence and hope to Moses and Israel. The plagues showed Moses and Israel that God really did have the power and desire to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. The plagues were very bad news for Egypt, very bad news for Pharaoh, but they were incredibly good news for the Israelites. Israelites had been suffering in slavery, and and they thought, where is God? And so God shows his power to say, you are my people, I will deliver you. I will not let you stay under this oppression forever. The God who had power over creation, who is superior to the Egyptian gods and to Pharaoh, this God was their God. Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, and he was acting against Egypt, not just to punish them, but to deliver his people, to deliver Israel. And that must have given them great confidence and hope. Back in chapter 6, when Moses told the Israelites that the Lord had promised to free them from slavery, to do these mighty acts of judgment against Egypt, to bring them to the promised land, the Israelites... They didn't listen. They didn't believe it. Because it says, because of their discouragement and their hard labor, they just couldn't believe that God actually cared about them. That God actually was going to do something to help them. They were too overwhelmed with their labor. But the plagues were visible signs that God meant what he said. When he said, I'm going to deliver you, he says, I'm going to show you how powerful I am. I'm going to send these plagues to show you that I'm I'm going to deliver you, my people. And one of the ways that the plagues showed this was from the fact that after the third plague of gnats, the rest of the plagues did not affect the Israelites at all. In plagues 4 through 9, the text says that God made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites living in Goshen. There were no flies in Goshen. No Israelite livestock died from the pestilence. No boils, no hail, no locusts, no darkness in the land of Goshen. And next week we're going to see how God provided for the Israelites to avoid the effects of the tenth and final plague as well. In a very particular way, as God chooses to pass over their firstborn sons. God knew what was going to lie ahead for Moses and the people of Israel. He knew that that once he delivered them out of Egypt, that wasn't going to be the end of the story. But that when they went out into the wilderness, they were going to deal with great difficulty in living in the wilderness and, and the task of conquering the groups living in the promised land. And even when they were in the promised land, they were going to face challenges. And he knew that the Israelites would shrink back in fear. And that they would complain. And that they would doubt God's power. And we're going to see that in the weeks to come. That that even after God shows this power, that they still doubt him. They still complain. And so God knew that he needed to give the Israelites something that they could hold on to. To remember how powerful he was. He knew that by performing these ten powerful signs and then... And then even a greater powerful sign that we're going to look at in a few weeks when he led them through the Red Sea that he was giving them and future generations something to look back on. Something to remember what he did. To give them confidence and hope 
in the future as well. In Exodus 10, verse 2, the Lord tells Moses that part of his purpose in the plagues was that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that you may know that I am the Lord. The plagues were meant to be something that the future generations of Israelites would tell to talk about in order to be reminded of the power and the deliverance of their God. That, that our God, he, he did these amazing works in the past. He delivered us from Egypt. He delivered us from slavery to give them confidence and hope that he could do the same thing again. That he was the same God. Now one of the questions that you may be asking yourself as you've been listening to these different aspects of, of God's purpose in bringing these plagues on Egypt is... So what does all of this have to do with, with me? What does all of this have to do with us today in our lives? I mean, does, does God have a purpose in, in teaching us about these ten plagues as well? And the answer to that question is yes, he does. But the way that the plagues speak into our lives today, it has to be seen through the lens of Jesus. The Old Testament that we read, we don't have just the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. And so we have to understand God's works in the Old Testament. They're always pointing ahead to the New. They're always pointing ahead to Jesus. And so I want to end today with one last purpose in the plagues. Purpose number four for us is to point us to Jesus. How do these plagues point us to Jesus? Well, the first way is, is that throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus did signs and wonders as well. He did signs and wonders that showed his power, his superiority, but those signs and wonders brought healing and life. In our scripture reading from John 2 that Patty read um, earlier in the service, we saw that John described that, that, that miracle as the first sign that revealed Jesus' glory. And what was the first sign that Jesus chose to do to reveal his glory? He turned water, not into blood, but into wine. Jesus showed that he had power over creation, that he could change water into something. That he chose to, just like God did in the first plague. But Jesus' miracle brought life and joy to a wedding rather than death and destruction. Jesus showed that he had power over the weather, but instead of bringing a hailstorm, he calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Instead of bringing pestilence and boils, he healed people of all kinds of diseases. Instead of bringing darkness, he called himself the light of the world, who had come to shine light into our darkness. See, the plagues, we said, they reversed creation. But Jesus' miracles reversed the effects of the fall. They restored creation as he brought healing and light and joy. He restored things to how they were always meant to be. Another way that the plagues point us to Jesus is that Jesus took 
the plagues of judgment that we deserve upon himself on the cross. We talked about the fact that Pharaoh and Egypt, they deserved the judgment that the plagues brought them. Well, the truth is that all of humanity deserves plagues of judgment from God. We are all guilty of sin against our Creator. We may not have enslaved people like Pharaoh, but have you ever treated someone unfairly? Have you ever taken advantage of someone? Have you ever spoken a harsh word or thought a harsh thought towards someone? Have you ever benefited from the oppression or mistreatment of someone else like the Egyptians did? Maybe you don't even realize that you're benefiting from the oppression of someone else through the clothes that you wear or the food that you eat or the electronics that you use. The truth is that we are all guilty of both active and passive sin against people and against God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But instead of unleashing plagues of judgment against us, our God chose to become a human being and take those plagues of judgment on himself, on the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, darkness came over all the land as well, just as it did in the ninth plague. And Jesus was willing to take that darkness on himself in our place. Jesus was the only begotten Son of the Father. And he was willing to die so that we could live as firstborn sons and daughters of God. Next week we're going to focus even more on how that tenth plague points ahead to Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. But the final way that the plagues point us to Jesus is that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection give us confidence and hope today. The plagues were visible signs that God was for Israel, that he was not going to let Pharaoh continue to oppress them, that he was going to keep his promise to deliver them from slavery, and that even for future generations, they they could point back to this moment when God showed his power, when God showed his deliverance to Israel. And in the same way, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection do the same thing for us. Jesus' powerful miracles that brought healing and life to people when he walked here on earth, they give us confidence and hope that he is able to bring healing and life into our lives today. That he has the power to do that for us. That we can turn to him as as our God who is all-powerful. That he can bring healing in our life. That he can bring life and joy He can turn water into wine. Jesus' death on the cross, taking the judgment that we deserve, it gives us confidence and hope that our sins are really forgiven. That we don't have to fear judgment from God. That we don't have to to worry if God is going to smite us with a plague because Jesus took that plague from us. And so we can have confidence and hope that we walk freely, that God is for us. He's not against us. And Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate sign of God's power and victory over death itself, which gives us confidence and hope that we too will be raised to new life after we die, that our God can bring new life into dead situations in our lives today. 
And so in the same way that Israel, they, they commemorated and they remembered these, this moment in Egypt when God showed the power in the plagues and he showed his power to deliver them through the exodus and to lead them through the Red Sea and they, and they remembered back in the same way we too as Christians remember back to the day when our Savior took the brunt of the plagues for us. We remember back to his life and ministry on the earth as he walked and, and brought healing and life wherever he went. And we remember the day when he, after being in the grave for three days of darkness, rose to new life, to power, where he reversed even death itself in the resurrection. So what do we do in, in response to all of this? We praise and worship our God for who he is, for what he's done. In a moment after I pray, we're going to sing a song of praise to God, to the same God who brought the ten plagues against Egypt thousands of years ago, the same God who took on flesh and did miracles of healing in the ministry of Jesus, the same God who delivered the people of Israel from slavery and who delivered us from the slavery of sin. The same God who paid for our judgment in full on the cross and who conquered death, sin, and Satan through the resurrection. This God, the one true God, there is no one like him. The one true God, he is all-powerful. He is a God of judgment, but he is also a God of mercy. He is a God who has saved us. There is no one like him. He is our king. And so in the words of the song that we're going to sing in just a minute, come let us sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus. We belong to him. He has saved us. He has saved us from what we deserve. He is all we need. Lift up a heart of praise. Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the king. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that as we hear these, these powerful works that you unleashed on Egypt so many years ago, God, that sometimes it's hard for us to understand and, and we, we struggle with, with passages like this. We pray that you would open our eyes to see the purpose behind this, Lord, that how you were showing your power and your superiority over the gods of Egypt, and how you were bringing a just, deserved judgment upon great injustice and evil that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had done to your people, the Israelites. And to show how you were giving a sign to the Israelites that, that you were for them, that you would keep your promises, that you would release them, that you would, you would free them and deliver them, God. You were powerful enough to do that. God, we thank you that we live in the New Testament era. We thank you that we live after Jesus, that we live in a moment where, um, where we have your grace and your mercy. God, where we don't have to fear your plagues of judgment upon us because you paid for that in full on the cross. We don't have to fear you, God, as one who is against us, God, but you are one who is for us in Jesus, in the cross. Lord, we acknowledge that, that without Jesus, if we were not under his blood, Lord, that we would have great fear of you too. And Lord, we know that there are many in our world today that, that are not trusting in you, 
that themselves are under your judgment, your deserved judgment, God. We pray that we would be people who would proclaim the good news that they too can be free of fear, that they too can be rescued by you, Lord, brought into your kingdom as the God who has power to save. And so, Lord, give us hope, give us confidence in you, in who you are, in in what you've done for us, and that we would be your agents, Lord, to bring this good news to people that they too can be rescued, can be freed, can be saved because of your great power, because you are the king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.